if Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Sending out good vibes. Blah blah blah. Good vibes. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. But there's a kind of a plantation mentality among the people who have born and raised there where they think that somehow the outlaws are getting over on that on the system and they don't want to be part of that sort of thing. Okay, guys, welcome back to Great America Show. We have got Buzz Coaston coming at you this week, um, talking about living in the jungle and all sorts of fun stuff. I mean, I get into some jungle living. I don't think it like... It was Hawaii. It was Hawaii. It's got to be... It doesn't, it's not like, you know, a cold jungle. It might drive me crazy after a while. That's, of course, everybody's favorite podcaster, Graham, loving the new winter. Dunlop. I guess the gra- yeah. the beaver saw his shadow, or uh, the groundhog. Beaver. The groundhog, yeah. The beaver never sees a shadow. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I heard some geese coming by. Did you? You know, you can't yeah. trust the geese anymore. Did you see the video yeah. of all those birds flying into the ground? Uh, no. Into the ground? Mm-hmm. Okay. It looks like, I mean, it's hard to know what to trust these days and I I mean, it just could all be totally fucking fake unless I filmed it myself or almost at I that know, point. I know like that post you did on Instagram I was going to call you on that I was like has that been fact checked? I don't Which know. Which one? <laughs> the Irish one? Yeah no that well that one too yeah yeah that one I know that. That is satire. Is it? To me it is. Right so you don't care if it's I don't life. care. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a journalist. On my Instagram account. My personal Instagram account is shit posting. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that one I could understand, but I think it was the more late, the latest. Oh, Which the latest one was about the, uh, the C, the CDC changing and updating the toxicological profile on vinyl chloride recently. Oh yeah. Is that not true? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know either. That, Cause that's the whole thing. That whole train thing. I don't know what, to believe, I was it gonna looks like to, it's true. No, not that. Sorry, not that I don't know what to believe, but I just, you know, I don't know what to believe. It's the extreme uh, synchro mystic parts of it that I don't know what to believe. It's easy to come up with a meme to say, you know, that uh, this and that why. happened right beforehand and all that. But yeah, there's some there's some crazy stuff about how the train was behaving and what was going on before that and what it plowed into and how they lit the stuff on fire and. I don't know about any of that. Yeah. How was the train behaving? Is it being naughty? Melted wheels or something. It was speeding along like heat warnings. Like I've just, re- I've just re- recently just read a bunch of other stuff on. It's like, you just don't, I just can't grab onto anything until I got to wait with everything now. Even the UFOs and all that stuff. Just wait it out. I don't think don't the UFOs are UFOs, are they? Well, no, but that's the point. Then it turned they're out calling they're them, just they're calling them, they're, they're for, but you know, they're pretty careful on what they call them, which is alarming. Is the rumor, so the rumor I heard is, tell me if this is true, 
is that because of the Chinese spy balloon, they rejiggered the the air defense systems for slow moving objects, and now they're yeah. picking up all sorts of balloons. I know, but that just doesn't make sense to me that they're gonna all of a sudden, oh hey, oh they're slow moving objects now. All of a sudden, we're just gonna go and shoot them down right away. Like, well, come the one, on, the one guy did like slip up and say he shot down a balloon before that, right? When the they were Canadian still trying guy. to say it was unidentified, the yeah. Canadian guy was like, it was yeah. wound. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't want to participate in the narrative. But that's what I'm getting at. Like, So they scrambled just, our boys. I mean, Justin was like, pretty like worried. You all see, of a sudden like, you find <laughs> new things because you're looking differently, and now it's just automatic shoot down. Like they've been fucking traveling around in our atmosphere, thousands of them for decades. Come on. You could tell the teacher that the U.S. military shot down your science project. <laughs> it's pretty funny, really. I mean, oh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, hopefully it is just balloons because I feel like uh, we're dangerously unprepared for serious problems in the West. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know what happened with uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. I mean, you actually, let's talk about this first. You... You sent out a great newsletter. It's got some uh, some stuff. Newsletter. I think it's good. People should sign up to our newsletter. It's a good way for us to keep in touch because our YouTube channel is you know is on limbo again, and uh, you know we're putting stuff out on Rumble and Rockfin and stuff too. But uh, it's hard to to reach out to people with uh, you know Darren's lost his Twitter. All we have is some little social media stuff, and we barely like use it the social media to begin with. But sign up to the newsletter. And Darren, you mentioned the Bill C eleven. Did you? in there i don't know much about it but uh i know that a bunch of people are telling me not to worry about it it seems like it's honestly going to affect consumption more than anything okay and uh i mean canada's just not a big market for us so because in the because in the meantime you know the justice center released uh, their newsletter that uh how disappointed they are with the commissioner's conclusion that uh the invocation of the emergencies act was justified i mean it's is that what they decided yeah yeah after all that hullabaloo um you know and all the i mean you gotta you can hear some guys like maybe the jccf or viva fry break it down but it's it's pretty gross i mean that's when when you say that we're in trouble in the West. Like this is alarming to me. They're like, Oh yeah, this can set the trend. And this is what they're admitting. Like this will send, set the trend for, for how the government acts going forward. Like what the fuck? And that's not alarming to people. It's troublesome. So the, the JCCF said, and finding that there was reasonable grounds for cabinet to believe that a national emergency existed when the act was invoked. The commissioner's report states, I do not come to this conclusion easily as I do not consider the factual basis for it to be overwhelming. And I acknowledge that there's significant strength to the arguments against reaching it. So, you know, the JCCF has a statement that says, like, in our view, the threshold set out in the Emergencies Act was clearly not met, leaving aside the question of whether CSIS Act uh, threat to security of Canada existed it was clear from the evidence before the commission that the protest could have and would have been dealt with under existing law. The Justice Center argued that circumstances leading up to the invocation of the Emergencies Act did not meet the threshold set out in the statute for a declaration of emergency. 
it 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 it's, it's requires that threats to the security of Canada, as that term is defined in the CSIS Act, so serious as to be a national emergency, which cannot be effectively dealt with under any other law in Canada. I mean, I I didn't follow that that whole thing, you know, that much because it was pretty gross to me. And uh, even like I just sort of listened to like sort of a quick update, but it's just. It's just typical. I mean, we kind of, I guess we kind of knew that this was sort of a kangaroo court type thing and it wasn't even official, but they can just go up there and lie and they're not accountable to anything. And then all the, all the truth that they hear doesn't matter. doesn't make a difference. So it's pretty dis- disheartening. I didn't know we were on two strikes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Have uh, they both been appealed? Because uh, I want to, I want to do an email appeal if if we get denied both of those. Yeah, we just got a, a new one, right? That's the thing. And mm-hmm. there was nothing. I listened to it. There was nothing. There was no medical misinfo in it at all. It's super frustrating. Well, and our last strike was for two. Two um, guidelines breakings. Two. Uh, so technically, we have three strikes. Huh. What What are you saying? The last one. What do you mean? The last one. The one about Kate, the KN clip. No, that was a strike on February thirteenth. If I look at the strike on January tenth, they've they've like uh, noted two infractions. Two different videos, the Svetlana one and the Joe Roop one. God oh, yeah, yeah, damn it, yeah. Joe Roop. Yeah. Yeah, we knew that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it could yeah. be. Ah, so we got to make it till April 10th. Yeah. Jesus Christ. There's like almost no chance that's going to happen. No, because the thing is that, like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm still on YouTube a little bit, and I hear people saying way worse stuff than us. I don't know how we're getting the short end of the stick. Like, it's so frustrating. They're, they're allowed to just push back on all these different levels. It seems to me, and we just get that we're in this perpetual strike mode. So obviously, they're on us. I feel like it would take a real miracle. For us to get all the way to April 10th without striking out. Yep. I guess it's almost March, but shit, man. I don't know. Wish us luck. I don't know what else to say. That's all we can do, really. Because this episode is not even going to go up, is it? No, this can't. It's not going to YouTube. So, but I mean, the problem is don't, don't act like I, I do try and. I was in the midst of trying to backfill some of the episodes that had been missed because of these gaps when we're on strike. So don't don't sort of act crazy now because you Seems don't think like it's gonna going to go on well. there because I'll forget about it and then I'll put it on and then we'll be strike out for sure. The trans one was probably a bad idea. The trans get maddy. I know, but you know everybody else can talk about it. And they? Well, yeah. All these popular YouTubers are talking about it all the time. It's super frustrating. Russell Brand can push back on all this huge stuff. He's got 5 million subs, 6 million subs. And if we said the same thing, would it, would it be okay? No, we don't want to start to question push that. back. They don't want to upset 
five million I, people. They don't give a I, shit about our I guess. Eh? I mean, is that what it is? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, that we shouldn't even be putting our eggs in that basket. But speaking, we thought, well, we'll utilize it while we're there. But speaking of YouTube. Adultbrain.ca. That's A-D-U-L-T-B-R-A-I-N.ca. You've been hard at work on YouTube again. Yeah, well, I made, we talked about me making an adult brain channel for the books, right? So we can only use excerpts from our books that are exclusively on Audible and Apple Books, but we can still at least maybe advertise them a little bit there and get people to listen to the excerpts. And I'll talk a little bit about the books on these little videos, but we can also put some full ones on there that aren't exclusive. Like there's one on there right now called The World Brain, which is uh, from H.G. Wells, and he this is about his idea of like a living encyclopedia, basically like a world encyclopedia for the people. I I just wonder like what he would have thought about Wiki and how how easily manipulatable reality is through our current Wikipedia, because he doesn't really mention like the risk of it's almost like he was coming from a naive place. He's like, oh, they wouldn't like people wouldn't put non-factual stuff in there on purpose. It's just scientism, which is a problem, but not manipulation. Turns I mean, out people I'm, will make fake words come out of people's mouths and do anything they can to try and, and get changing, over on people. And changing definitions. And I mean, what would he think of like how the definition of fascism changed like three times in the last decade? Or sorry, two decades. Or like people on the internet who are cutting up original video and misrepresentation it's like we yeah but that's just not love that's, that shit who's doing that like trolling you mean like that kind of stuff yeah is it trolling i guess when it's like i don't think i think it's not trolling it's more like just some weird thing for likes or to see how much traction something clicking you- yeah i mean that's different i'm talking more of like systematic institutional oh. corru- like manipulation like the 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 out the free speech clamping down the censorship right now the changing of definitions the the gorilla skeptics in wikipedia like that like i i don't think he like him and and george bernard shaw like they were for free they even i mean they might have been lying about it but they really seem to be for debate and for open dialogue and for questioning and for freedom of speech and freedom of expression like what would they think nowadays to all that? To how bad it's gotten? I mean, it's it's Is Shaw dead too. Shaw dead, yeah. Shaw dead, yeah. Nineteen late nineteen forties or something, maybe. I think I don't know, forty eight, maybe or something like that. Fifty. Maybe. We and get Shaw's a book. Man. I mean, so that's the other book that's out, right? The Everybody's Political What's What from George Bernard Shaw is in Audible. What? Uh, it's also at Adult Brain, but what? What is everybody's it's political? A, what's what? Yeah, and that's a fuck. That's a deep book, man. I don't even really want to. I can't even really talk about it. It's so, it's so confusing because he's a socialist and a communist, but he would agree with us on more than not. Probably. I mean, he really was. He was anti jab. He was anti like scientism. Like he was calling out the medical community on all kinds of bullshit including the jab. I mean, and this is going back to the forties, 1940s. And he lived from what, like 60 to 40, 1860 to 1940s or something, 1950s. I think he was at least in his late eighties. Was he that old? Yeah. He, he he wrote that book 
when he was 88 in 1944. Was it 88? I think it was 88. Yeah. So it's just nuanced, right? I mean, the conspiracy community is railing against these guys like H.G. Wells and, and, and Shaw, but Shaw is a, definitely Shaw is a more nuanced thing. Like, yeah, he was a, he went to, um, Kami. No, he went to the Fabian. Like he was a part of the Fabian society with Wells and some of those guys. He mentions Wells in his book constantly and how they disagree on some things. But he had a pretty nuanced view of things. But he also wanted everybody to fit into civilization a certain way. And if you didn't fit, then bang. Like if you don't want if you don't want to learn to fit in society, like you're dead, basically. So that's it. There's some very there's also some very harsh judgments from him too because who gets to to decide like you know what constitutes good society now when we look back and they're still in this mindset of like being civilized compared to savages that kind of thing you know even in the mid-1900s i think and now we're looking back going geez this civilized stuff is bullshit i'll play a little jingle there's a little sample from the from your latest release dunlop oh which one This book can never be finished any more than the annual register can. But each of its successive writers must stop somewhere, not always because they have no more to say, and certainly not because there is no more to be said, but because they are tired of saying it, and their readers of reading it, not to mention the limits of available time and space. I must stop, leaving much unsaid. That's from uh, your latest... Masterpiece, Everybody's Political What's What by George Bernard Shaw. And that's on Audible. And the H.G. Wells one is on our YouTube channel for free. So check out the YouTube channel. Please subscribe. And we're going to try and build this up. This one way that we can kind of maintain our existence here in the Great White North. Mm-hmm. Just check out Adult Brain. There's a link. In, I'll put the link in the sh- all the show notes for the YouTube channel now. Yeah, and that book from Saw is pretty, it's like 16 hours, I think, or 19 hours. It's pretty deep. How long is the one you're doing now? Oh, I don't know. It's like way longer than that. Probably 30 hours, maybe. Another 30-hour tomb? Tome? Tome, yeah. I like it. And the one I'm doing now is that one that uh, Jason Bershears talked about, um, the vanished uh, prehistoric world and the vanished races. It's actually... So far, not very controversial. Um, pretty much seems like a scientific summary of the prehistoric world. So should be should be interesting. We'll see. They what there was a, a hundred page chapter on the mound builders, which was pretty interesting. What book are we gonna do for free next on the Adult Brain YouTube channel? Well, the the symbolism of the tarot by mm-hmm. Ospansky is um waiting it'll come out in a couple days so every two days a video will come out on that youtube channel for now for a couple months sort great well we had a great time in mount shasta like we said last week and now we're heading to utah utah is really only what six weeks out seven weeks out april 20th heading there we got dave matheson we got brandon powell we're gonna go have a time down there Start pumping that. So if you guys want to come hang out, that is like uh, the cheapest event to get into still. Uh, if that's something you want to do and you want to come check out those stars, have that like that Bryce yeah, night. Go for some great. hikes. Go for some hikes too, right? The hikes at Zion are fucking second to none. They really are fantastic. There's a what promo on YouTube. 
What did I interrupt you saying? You're uh, saying what about the? Oh, we're gonna have the. Uh, we're gonna move the side the by side this again? year up to Yovimpa Point. In that parking lot instead, where we watch the is sunset. Is it gonna be cold? Is it gonna be? It's always cold. I don't know if it'll be hotter. I mean, last time was a week later in the season. Definitely want to dress warm, but what we will have this time is uh, over in the parking lot, we'll have uh, dinner Dinner there, and then we'll maybe keep a little fire going over there so people can go warm up, and we'll have Kevin's oh, little party idea. van over there, maybe giving out some drinks to help people keep warm too. So, Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, make a little party in, in Bryce. Well, that's Shindig, in Bryce, right? the Bryce Canyon party bus. Yeah, that's Bryce Canyon. Way up and then we have Dave Matheson showing us when the when the sun sets and the stars pop out. We're standing over this ledge in front of the huge canyon with the huge sky, and Matheson will go over the stars and the mythology behind them. Pretty interesting. It's amazing, and the side by sides are great, and the Brandon Powell, the cold plunges, all of it. It's fantastic. We want some fresh blood out there. Head over to contactatthecabin.com. We got a bunch of great reviews going on. If you're if you're hesitant, but I mean, it's really. Once in a lifetime trip. Highly recommend. How was your it. travel experience? We forgot to talk about that last week. Well, we they lost my bag. I I oh, they. Oh, yeah, so you did mention back. that, but you got it back. It came back. Yeah, it showed up. Not the next it day. Opened, the day after. Is it opened at all? Do you know? Or? I don't think so. I think everything was in there. And Sean got her <laughs> bag back too. Like you got all your luggage back. Yes. Okay, so how was it traveling over the borders and stuff? No problem. So the people, the people at the airline, which airline did you take? Mm, well, I think it was WestJet. To Seattle, no, it was or? Air Canada to Vancouver. And then Air Canada again, I think, to Sacramento from Vancouver. And on the way back was WestJet and Air Alaska. Okay. That's that's the the mix up with the luggage. I swear, I'm just gonna do as as much as possible, like same airlines nowadays. I think your chance of like things happening are way less if you're just on the same airline and not switching actual airlines. But so so you're at the Calgary Airport Air Canada desk, and they've so can it, U.S. Customs has now pushed the jab question to the people at the desk. Then the airline. I don't know. I don't talk to them. They just when you book your ticket, it asks you. Really? When you book your ticket? So what yeah. about when you went to, to check in your bags? Well, I don't talk to anyone when I check in my bags. I just go there and print out my bag tags and throw them on the thing. I don't ever talk to anyone until I get to security. Okay, so then when you got to security, well, security doesn't well, care. I didn't what about go when you got customs. to customs? Customs in Vancouver Airport, right? Didn't ask. With didn't you. come up. It didn't come up? No. At all? With the mm -hmm. human? You had to talk mm -hmm. to a human? Did you do the AI and the human? Did you have to fill out the just the human scan your passport, answer the questions in AI, and then go to the human? Yeah, I think so. That's usually so what you have to do. So you had to. I really wanted you to pay attention to this part because you always have to talk to have, the human. Okay, but did you have to answer those questions on the computer too? But you never had to show any evidence of anything. Never had to show any evidence of everything because oh, you used to have to upload a picture. And I don't right. think anyone was looking at the pictures. I think you could upload a picture of your dog and no one would have even notice. <laughs> I didn't think dog was coming out of your mouth. This then. time I just had to attest that I was vaccinated. That was when you bought your ticket. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, I can't remember if it was when I bought my ticket or when I checked in. Right, right. It might have asked you on the check-in itself, like your actual. When I was okay, yeah, checking yeah, yeah. in on, with my phone. Yeah. One of yeah. those. Okay. But it and was you just no breeze through the, And then you just breeze through the in-person thing part. And I checked us in, so Fashana just never even ever came up. <laughs> what a, what a what a reality we're living in. I mean, he starts the, the weird thing is they start googling like magic on the mountain because what I was like, well, we're going to a conference in Shasta, so he's like, he's he's you know they're on the internet going to stuff, so they're on our website. That's always what a little weird. I never yeah. want to say I'm working. No, so, I know. That's the thing, right? I so just what pretend you, what I'm you an say? attendee. I'm an attendee. All right. And you said magic on the mountain. Yeah, I was in too deep already. I'd already said too much. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so what did I mean, he last tell time you? I, last event I drove to and I said I was just going to meet up with some buddies. They searched Yeah, and me, then so. they started asking of all this. Then they started asking, what buddies? Have you met them before in person? Internet buddies? Like It's better to be as of, truthful as possible. So Totally, totally. But you don't have to just go deep into the actual website right away. So when well, you said Magic just on the Mountain. This, what, and he's like, oh, yeah, what's it called? And it's Magic on the Mountain. And then he couldn't find it. And I was like, well, I don't see it on here. And then I was like, well, try type in contact at the cabin. And then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, what did he, and what did he say? He's like, so this isn't your thing, though, right? And I was like, no, oh, no, what? we're just attendees. Oh, my God, really? Because mm -hmm. I don't want to get into all that. Then no, not with them. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's none of your business if it's, it's mine or not. None of your fucking business. But but it wasn't that bad. Is, that I mean, is really interesting. How it, that is. It. So did he? He made. Did he make any comments about it? Like how? Like how did you find out about this? Or who do you, do you know these people? No, I think he just thought we were fucking weird by the end of it. It moved on from thinking we were a national security threat to just thinking we were fucking weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're going to some weird conference in Mount Shasta. But Shasta is a good place for it in that regard. They expect I, it. I, I know. I know exactly. Yeah. And we're going to keep it there next year. We got the tickets on sale for next year. If people want to make a deposit or get their name. Unless it's a great event. It's only getting better. Probably only getting bigger. We moved it back a few months. It'll be a bit warmer. We'll get a little more daylight. And that Crystal Lake or Castle Lake hike will be open. The one we wanted to do. Cool. Yeah, and then there's another hike very close to the cabin. We'll do again and get the get yeah. That's the, all. That's all at contact of the cabin dot. So yeah, the Utah event that's coming up right away, and then we got the Canada event coming up later this year. Some Randall events, a bunch of stuff going on at contact at the cabin dot com. Sign up for that newsletter. Sign up for this newsletter. Support the show. Grandamerica.ca slash support. We are a value for value podcast. And uh, we know that there's a bunch of people downloading the show, probably listening to the show. We could use a, form a few more people supporting the show. GrimAmerica.ca slash support, or maybe head over to GrimAmericaOutlaw.ca. Sign up for a show, uh, a plus subscription over there. Make a one-time donation at GrimAmerica.ca slash support. Sign up for the YouTube channels, even if you're not watching them. I guess it probably helps with some algo shit or something. Review the show, share the show. That's the other big one is you got to share this motherfucker. Nobody, like, none of the 
social medias or YouTube or none of this platforms that we're on are promoting us anymore at this point in any regard. That's so weird. You're you're making a point about that on Twitter anymore. So we just need you guys to, you guys all have the socials, like the socials (laughs) probably still work for you guys. If you like posted some shows on your social media or however you do that, but tell your friends about the show. It's important. I was thinking about that today, actually, because I was thinking back at people talking about like we have our Grimerica outlawed podcast as well. And the second half of that is like um, six thirty nine a month. You get the second half of that and some audiobooks in that feed as well. And and I was thinking to anybody that had, you know, a problem with that or whatever. It's like just thinking back to if we weren't censored and shadow banned and if the whole independent, if this wasn't such a battle, like it would be completely different. No wonder why we all kind of all these independent creators have to sort of try and make their way in it and pay for expenses. I mean, it would be so different if we were just had normal algorithms the whole way through this and normal searchability. But every popular mainstream channel now has their own podcast. I mean, it's also been saturated with them now. So in the beginning, it was just us independent ones. Now everybody has a podcast including the mainstream. So it's just the whole landscape has changed. And they're actively trying to stomp ours out. Yeah. Don't let them share the show, support the show, grammarica.ca slash support. Join the chat, sign up for the newsletter. What else you got? You got anything else? Oh, you know what quote, else? I, yeah, quote. So, yeah, I do. But before that, do you remember we in the chat, somebody was talking about this cranberry pulling? Uh, is that the same as like oil pulling for your teeth? Well, yeah, you you put like cranberry juice in uh, in your mouth and swish it around for two minutes and then spit it out. Oh, and and I was arguing with Ryan. I was arguing with Ryan in the chats because um, I was like, I went to find like in our Safeway. There's a million different flavors of cranberry drink, but I didn't think you'd be able to get like pure cranberry. So the other day when I was shopping, I I stopped at that section, thinking back on our conversation, and I, and I saw this pure cranberry juice. I'm like. They do have pure juice here, like pure. So I'm like, I'm going to try this. Because a bunch of us in the chats were like, I'll put it under the category of I'll believe it. I won't believe it, but I'll try it anyways, you know? So I swish it around for two two minutes, spit it out, and oh my God, shit comes out, dude. Really? Like big fucking wiry chunks and then this other big block. And I'm thinking, what is this stuff? And I mean, maybe it's just gunk that I, but I mean, I brushed my teeth. Like I had my mouth felt clean. So where is this stuff coming from? You floss every day? Well, no, but I usually feel when there's something stuck. I don't floss every day, but I floss every week or something like that, you know? Oh. So then I did you it have, again. And you, have the, you have more of it? Maybe I'll try. Can I use like, I thought I, I could have just more, use yeah, like Don't go buy some because it's almost hard. You can't even hold it in your mouth. It's so tart and tangy. like. It's just struggle. You're just breathing it in and trying not to swallow it. And then, you know, you got to swish it around for, for two minutes. So I'll, I'll bring a little jar to you. Yeah. I'll we'll give share. it a whirl. It'd be interesting. Yeah, Cause I, I, I yeah. am a daily flosser. Yeah. Wonderful. Notice what, the see difference. what comes out. And I'm going to try it again after a few days and see if it's, if it's just gunk. In. But I mean, either way, it seems like it's probably a good way to pull whatever bullshit you got going on in your mouth and throat. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you have it. There you have it's it. It's not. It's true. It's 
profound quote of the week Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week Can you guess the human who spoke it or wrote it down? What if it's not a human? You ready? In early democracies, all individual human rights were granted on the ground that man is God's creature. That is, freedom was given to the individual conditionally in the assumption of his constant religious responsibility. Such was the heritage of the preceding 1,000 years. 200 or even 50 years ago, it would have seemed quite impossible in America that an individual be granted boundless freedom with no purpose, simply for the satisfaction of his whims. Subsequently, however, all such limitations were eroded everywhere in the West. A total emancipation occurred from the moral heritage of Christian centuries with their great reserves of mercy and sacrifice. The West has finally achieved the rights of man, and even to excess, but man's sense of responsibility to God and society has grown dimmer and dimmer. In the past decades, the legalistic selfishness of the Western approach to the world has reached its peak, and the world has founded found itself in a harsh spiritual crisis and a political impasse. All the celebrated technological achievements of progress, including the conquest of outer space, do not redeem the 20th century's moral poverty, which no one could have imagined even as late as the 19th century. H.G. Wells. <laughs> no, but it did remind me of, of that era. Uh, it's from Solzhenitsyn. Oh, that makes sense too. And it's from a um it's from a, a newsletter I got from Free to Fly. It's a uh it's a um an an organization to try and uh help the uh air airplanes and airports and um all that stuff uh through this whole era of the lockdowns to continue fly without all these mandates and stuff like that. So don't know if you ever heard of them or not. Never heard of that shit. Yeah. But it didn't do you great. Go. You got a bio? Oh, yeah. Right. So, yeah, Buzz Coaston. So, from 28 to 49, he's a well-paid corporate corporate uh, sales exec. We always love these sort of these stories of uh, execs turned to some sort of spiritual quest. So, he traveled all over the U.S. and internationally, too. Um, he made big bucks, a lot of great perks, but he, his heart was no longer in it. So at 49, he chucked it for an unstructured life of adventure. It didn't start out to, to, to do it that way. It just kind of happened by accident. All he had to do is to make that happen was to go with the flow. So we went on from living high on the hog to living with pizza, making hippies outlaws who were living illegally in a Hawaiian jungle. And he did that off and on for five years. And then he made a book about it. It's the story of how that came about and what happened to him during his time with the Kalalau Outlaws. Kalalau? Kalalau. Kaluhu. Kaluhu. Kutulu. Kutulu. Probably not that one. All right, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. We had a fun chat. We hope you guys enjoyed it as well with the one and only Buzz Coaston.
Wow, that's quite a palace you got there on that uh, green screen. Thank you. <laughs> this is real house, Buzz Coaston. Oh, is it? Well, that's great. That's, no, that's something to aspire to, I guess. Yeah, right. Well, I don't know. It seems like uh, that'd be a lot to maintain if it was real. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, man, really. I've been listening to you guys for a long time, off and oh, on. Oh, wow. and, uh, right on. Yeah. Yeah, and then seeing you, uh, you know, on the screen is, you know, a whole different experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had, I should have told you that, you know, we do audio, we record audio, but usually we see each other in Zoom. But I mean, we okay, don't, you know, yeah. Well, I'm, here, so, yeah, yeah. It, well, it would. I normally I could just, you know, in in reality I could flick a button and pop on, but not in my case. I got to plug things in and move things yeah, around. That's so. okay. That's okay. All right. I mean, big shout out to Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy too. He was. I listened to your show with him. It was good. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Mark. And in fact, I just listened to him uh, uh, do the interview with uh, uh, Ronnie Pontiac. Today. Yeah. And I, I that was a good one too. Came out with that too. Yeah. 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 I and left I, a whole I, bunch of questions on the table that I didn't ask with Ronnie. So hopefully we'll have him back again one day. Oh, yeah. Well, Mark, you know, Mark's really into that stuff. So uh, that's, it was right up his alley, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's your, uh, let's talk about the genesis of your story and all that. The, like, I love this corporate, uh, you know, the leaving the corporate world story. Yeah, well, I had accidentally gotten into corporate America and uh, spent 20 years as a uh, sales executive uh, traveling uh, mostly in the U.S., but sometimes internationally. And it, it really paid well, and it was a fun gig. But uh, I was only doing it for the money by the time I got to, you know, age 48, and I really thought I was going to get out by 50, buy my way out, you know, have a lot of money to buy my way out, and I and that didn't happen. So, um, in fact, what was happening was I was running out of money and going bankrupt. So, I, on a spur of a moment, after knowing that it was going to happen and what the timing was, I decided I'd go on a vision quest in Hawaii and uh, see if I could find some answers. So, I, um, I used miles to do that. You know, so I booked some uh, first-class seats to get there and back, and I booked some five-star resorts with hotel points. But when I went to book the uh, flight, the guy told me that the only date he had available for a first-class seat to Hawaii in the time range I wanted was leaving on Friday the 13th. So I thought, well, that's a good omen. That's a, that's a, that's a sign. And uh, as I progressed along this trip, more of these kind of weird signs would pop up. And then one of the things I did uh, is I booked, uh, on an impulse, I booked a uh, New Age guru as um you know just to do i don't know what i i really don't know why i did it uh, but i did and i spent good money on it and uh what she did really wasn't that helpful but when we would talk before and after the sessions i would get some really interesting advice from her and one of the things that she advised me to do was to think about how to manifest this money that i needed i needed about a hundred grand to keep me whole and i thought it kind of wacky but i figured well you know what I got to lose. Let me try it. And, uh, I tried it and it worked. <laughs> I ended up with $110,000 in the bank by zero one zero one zero one. So that kind of kept me out of corporate America for a while, but I still didn't know what to do. And so on my vision quest, before you so get into the, before you get into the vision quest, there must've been some seed or something like, like, you don't just jump into a vision quest. Like there must've been some nagging or some kind of spiritual, 
you know, curiosity or something. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, it's all, it's kind of like uh, Don Quixote's uh, thing. Don Quixote's he's 50 and he's read a whole bunch of books about stuff. And then all of a sudden he decides he's going to go out and learn some things about it. Well, I was kind of the same way. You know, I had read a whole bunch of books about this kind of stuff. You know, the vision quest idea I got from Joe Campbell's writings. And uh, I knew a little bit about the hero's journey. In writing the book, I found out I was on the hero's journey. At that time, I was just thought I was on the hero's clusterfuck <laughs> and and uh, going nowhere fast. But anyway, uh, so, but I didn't have this whole manifesting part down. In corporate America, you know, they taught us in sales to goal set. And that had worked for me, but I didn't think of it as manifesting. Yeah, I just wrote exactly. down some, There's I just thought of it as goal practice. setting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and it worked too. You know, it did work for me there. But so where did the 110 come from then? It, it came out of my past. Uh, whenever this kind of thing happens to me, it usually comes somewhere out of my reality that, yeah, um, that, that I'm was, not. A, yeah. It was know, there. Yeah, yeah. It, it was such a long shot that I didn't even think about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but but it appeared while I was on the vision quest and I thought, wow, you know, this could be it. This might be the thing. <laughs> so what does the vision quest entail? Like, is this a. A, like a, a journey into the jungle or some psychedelics or what kind of vision quest is this? It, it was very tame by any kind of vision quest standard. It's almost <laughs> a, you know, a sin to call it a vision quest. You know, I was staying at five-star resorts and flying first class, you know, it was very far from torturous, except I was mentally tortured by the, you know, the financial difficulties I had. There was no physical torture. And uh, no, I wasn't even into any of that stuff. I wasn't a camper. I didn't like the jungle per se. You know, I liked Hawaii, but I thought Hawaii was, you know, five-star resorts and, you know, fancy restaurants and stuff like that. And uh, so the vision quest was uh, part of that. And in the end of the vision quest, I ended up uh, staying in a more rustic environment and with more local people. And, um, and those people turned out to be me, the key for me moving to Hawaii which uh, was something I hadn't thought of on the vision quest. So the vision quest kind of set me up for two things. It set me up to be financially able to do, to move to Hawaii. And then a few months later, the opportunity presented itself. And so I did that. So <clears throat> where did you, um, so th did the Valley come into play at all before at this point or? Yeah. On the vision quest, every Island that I went to, uh, there would be at least one person, sometimes two, who would randomly come up to me and talk to me about this place called Kalalau Valley. And they would always tell me about three things. And not always did they say all the three things, but out of the group that would meet with me, they would tell me about the Kalalau outlaws. And they would describe them as a highly spiritually minded group of people who were living at one with nature and things like that. And then they would tell me about the spiritual pizza, which was somehow the specialty of the house there. And people were hiking in from all over the world to get this spiritual pizza thing that was going on there. And they also had a library, uh, which was called the Kalalau Library. So and weird. those three things kept coming up. And uh, yeah, it, the library thing was funny because uh, it really, you know, you think it, it's like your, your library was bigger in the back of you than the uh, that Kalalau library, but people would hike in and leave books and stuff. And uh, so we just built up a collection and, you know, it was the library. That's, a, that's the first David Icke book I ever read was in Kalalau Valley. So, so you're getting but, drawn to this valley. <laughs> Which and one was it? Uh, right. I get, 
Go ahead, Derek. Pardon me? Which what? David Icke book? You know, I don't remember, but it was the one where he talks about the lizards, and I thought, oh, you know, this guy came up with a great idea of how to not get killed. Just say the lizards are involved, and nobody's going to believe that. You know, they're going to, why, kill the lizard guy? Come on, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought the lizard thing was, a, you know, a, a cover for him. I don't know. But that was the book I read with where he talks about the lizard. So, so, so and that's Kal- how I got it. Kalalo Valley. How do you, how do you pronounce it? Kalalo. Kalalao. Kalalao Valley. That's on the far, is that the far west, eastern, a, northeastern part of all the chain of islands? Like you're kind of on right. the very edge there. So that's it's, in Kauai, right? Right, it's on Kauai, and it's a uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you have to hike along a, a ten mile trail. Oh, it's ten it's on, miles! Hey, eh? wow! It's, it's a ten mile cliffside trail, and uh, that trail. In fact, there's a point on the trail at eight mile. Uh, it's actually at seven and a half miles into the trail. You come to a place called Crawler's Ledge, <laughs> and that's where that's where a lot of people turn around and go back. You know, it's like I'm not doing that. <laughs> Now, I don't know anybody that's fallen, and maybe the people that would fall had already left, but, you know, that, that's one of the places on the trail. So, so you, it's a really gnarly experience. So do you go through, like, I'm just looking at the map here. Do you go through that Waimea Canyon Trail into the Coquille oh, no. State Park, or is that, no. that's like the, that's like the inland way, right? There's a. No, you, that, that's the, uh, you got to be hardcore to do that. I mean, there, I don't even know one guy in modern times that's been able to go from there down to the valley. That's the, and oh, and a German tourist fell off the cliff one time and he <laughs> went down through, through the valley and then the outlaws helped him out. But uh, nobody goes that way. The, the trail is, uh, if you're looking at the map, go to the far right of the island and you'll see a place at the end there. You'll see Hanalei. And then further north on the shore, there's a, a beach area called K-A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiny little beach. I mean, those. Right, yeah, right. Right. Hyannis State Park and K-A Beach right there. And so the trail starts there and then it goes out to the valley from there. Oh, now it actually it, shows it on the it shows it on the map actually even. Oh yeah, it's a world famous trail. It's one of the ten most difficult hikes in the world. Wow. <laughs> People just fly to the island just to hike that trail. So uh that and and the people that do it are actually adventurous. So, you know, and the and so the spiritual pizza thing started spreading around the world. People would hear about the, you know, they want to do the trail and then, oh, you got pizza at the end? That's great. And then people would hike in, you know, bringing the ingredients so they could get the spiritual pizza. So that was the story behind that. So does this does this valley like what's the valley like once you're in there? Like I kept picturing this valley like almost like a gorgeous jungle valley with a stream kind of, but you could overlook the ocean in some spots. Like what, what's give us a sense of the. Well, okay. So there were, when I lived there, there were actually communities around the valleys. So I lived in the bluff community. So it's about 150 feet above the ocean on the rocks. If you, if you look at the beach area, it's uh, it would be, I'm looking at the way you're looking at it. So it would be to the, to the right of the beach area. It's about a mile from the bluff to the beach. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then there was people living up valley. There was the up valley community. So I lived on the bluff for most of my stays there because um, I, I just liked that area. And it was also, we played a game with the state called Ranger Scratch, where they would fly in with helicopters and chase us around. And it was always easier to win that game if you were on the bluff than you were on the beach. Being on the beach, you could easily get caught. But uh, if you're on the bluff, you had a lot of jungle to work with. 
So yeah, it was a trip. <laughs> so what like, is this? Does this valley go like this? Must have been a spot that the indigenous Hawaiian peoples used long ago, oh, right? I mean, it goes the, way back, or yeah, it's a it. Uh, well, you know, kind it's a, a very very sacred place, very special place, and uh, mainly because it's uh, hard to access. But also, uh, what we say uh, in Hawaiian, they say the word mana. You know, it indicates a kind of spiritual power. And so the mana in Kalalau is extremely high. And really, the reason most of the outlaws stayed in there was because of the mana. I mean, it, it, there, there was no other good reason to be in such a remote location. But the, the power of the place is kind of fascinating because the things that are not normal in everyday life, like, you know, like I'm talking about manifesting. Manifesting was a common practice in Kalalau. You know, it, was, it wasn't something that was considered weird or strange. It was normal. You know, what you needed would appear when you needed it. Uh, and sometimes what you didn't need would appear too. But, you know, it was, it was a magical place. And so that was what the attractive feature was. Plus, it's very beautiful. You know, it's extremely beautiful. So uh, those two things uh, were the attraction. So the outlaws, like, they're not necessarily criminals. They're called outlaws because, I guess, is that, well, you're not the, really supposed to live there, right? Is that right? The it's, it is technically, uh, it's not a illegal, but it is against park regulations <laughs> to live there. So we, we, they, were, they were dubbed the outlaws. We would play a game where they would chase us. If you got caught, you'd get a ticket, and then you'd have to go to court. And you couldn't pay it off. You had to go to court. But back in the day, the courthouse was in Hanalei, and it was just a, a party scene. You know, you'd get a ticket, you'd go there and have a good time and party with the group. And then, uh, you know, and, and nobody had any money. So there was an ex-outlaw by the name of Tom who ran a, um, what did he, he had some kind of program where you could do community service for Tom, and uh, that would be your fine. And so, you know, the outlaws had the, had the whole thing rigged. It was, it was a fun game. And this is probably like I, I was thinking back at the timing. Um, I listened to a lot of your audiobook and, and read some of your notes here and and heard you on Mark's show and and um I kind of felt like it was a more recent thing, but when when I look back at the timing, it's almost like the good old days of the nineties and the early two thousands, right? Right, right. I, I this scene doesn't exist in there anymore to my knowledge. The last outlaw, I talked to Ronnie the mayor a couple of weeks ago, and he told me he had been in for a couple months recently and he said there's nobody there. There's nobody there. Like nobody at all, or just nobody. Oh, well, he he said nobody living there. Some tourists came in and out, but uh, you know nothing going on. He he didn't have a he didn't tell a good story about it. So I'm assuming it's kind of a dead scene now, and it's all over. Because the hikers that will go in there, like you, they can camp, right? There's a limited number of camping that you can buy. A, a right. For, yeah, yeah, they have a whole program where you can get a permit and i think you've got to like three to five days you can do the hike and stay and leave i i don't know what the exact timing is but they they have a whole system worked out and the price has gone way up i hear it used to be like 30 bucks i i think it's much more than that now so is there a lot of like do they go to the party too like is it kind of like do you hike in and then the campers even sort of get the hang out and party for a few days like is there always oh yeah a few hundred campers there at a time kind of thing or in the summertime, yeah. In yeah, the summertime, yeah. you get a lot of campers. And then, you know, they, a lot of them either discover the scene or knew about it before they got there. And so they, they can spend uh, as much time as they want hanging out with the outlaws. And, you know, the outlaws would provide the entertainment. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, there was always parties going on, spiritual pizza available, things like that. And they would so, just come and go and you guys would stay. 
Right. In fact, they would, they would help supply us because, you know, that trail is so difficult. Nobody wants to hike out what they hiked in. They hike in way too much. And then they would just, what we call kicked it down to us before they left. So we would get resupplied a lot of times by the tourists. Hmm. Interesting. But that's, but that story doesn't happen until, uh, you know, the, the way I got there was, uh, you know, uh, by fits and starts, I never really intended to go to that Valley. I kept hearing about it, but it wasn't something that I thought I was going to do. And, uh, but when I moved to Hawaii, I moved into this little off the grid shack in the middle of nowhere. And many of the people who live there had lived in Kalalau Valley before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, so what happened was I was a nine 11 happened sh shortly after my arrival. And when that happened, I thought I'm not going back, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> that's nuts. <clears throat> There's no way I'm going back. I don't know how I'm going to stay, but I'm not going back. And so I stayed, but you know, eventually I was going to run out of money. And so as I was coming up on my 50th birthday in March, the, um, I, w I knew I was once again going to be in the same boat I was when I started the vision quest, but I didn't use the tools that I had used on the vision quest to get the money. This time I thought my way out of it and everything I thought of did not work. You until thought the point or bought? Thought, you know, I, I was thinking, I put on my thinking cap and I was going to think my way out of this. I had all kinds of schemes to get the money and to stay and all that kind of stuff. None of it worked. And, uh, but I, and I had to go through the experience of, of losing everything to go down to absolute zero, to go down to no food and no money and to live there in that space for, for I don't know, a few days. It wasn't forever. The money thing I ran out of maybe a month before the food, but after the food ran out, I had about three or four days of no food. And then all of a sudden I had food. And then shortly after that, I had money and then, you know, things started to change and then I was back on my feet again. And, but I had gone through and lived through my worst fear. And so I think that was one of the benefits of that. Kind of part of the hero's journey, that part, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think you have to get that point where you, uh, where you just get down to nothing and you're real and you're right there and the real, in the real reality. And then all of a sudden it comes back. And so that's what's happened to me. And, uh, and it, and Kalalau played a big part in that comeback because, um, I had to go there to learn that, you know, the, the lessons I needed to learn in there to go through the next experience I needed to go through. And then I went through it and came out and okay. So what was it like living off? I mean, cause especially nowadays, right. There's all people talking about off grid all the time. I mean, I, uh, well, it's, I it's not going off grid too, but I mean, what, I mean, in Hawaii, it must be the ideal place in some ways. Yes, it is. If you're going to go off like the grid. 80 degrees every day, all through the year, you know, <laughs> well, not quite, but that is the idea you get, you know, it, it does seem like that there, there is a winter in Hawaii and it, and depending on where you are, it can be a gnarly experience, but our winter is nothing like you have. So, you know, it's, it's not quite that bad. It's rainy and it's colder than usual. That's our winter in Hawaii. Because you were off grid for a while, right? I did a year and a half in the shack, and uh, and that was uh, uh, I never want to do that again. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was very primitive, you know. We ha I had one solar panel that could only power a water pump, and uh, that was it. I mean, that was all. And I had a you know I could cook on. A, I had a, a camp stove that I could cook on with propane, 
And uh, one of the guys in the neighborhood taught me how to get a refrigerator by putting block ice in my cooler, and that would last for about four days. But uh, I had to change, you know, a lot of things and learn how to live without electricity. And that was really an interesting experience, uh, both in Kalalau and at the Little Grass Shack. It, they, no electricity is uh, a, an eye-opening experience, believe me. Oh, yeah. Try it sometime. Yeah. Well, no, especially nowadays. It's it's really bad nowadays. I mean, it would have been a tad easier back then. But what, where was the Little Grass Shack? Was it on Kauai, too? Oh, uh, no. That was was on the oh. big island on the hamakua oh, okay. coast uh, kind of in between hilo and Hanakoa. Oh, yeah. but uh yeah it's a 300 mile distance i had to fly there and uh you know uh, i i had i was so concerned about going that when i went to the airport the first time to go to kalalau i uh i left my wallet at home so i had to go back you know so i okay i'll go tomorrow then the next day i went and then i left my ticket at home okay well i'll go back and get the ticket and i'll go tomorrow on the third day, I finally got through the whole thing, got through the, the TSA check, and then I left my sleeping bag in the truck, but I got it before I left. And so in my hike in, all those things, uh, once again, disappeared on me. When I was hiking into Kalalau, uh, I spent the night halfway there and on the trail. And when I woke up in the morning, my wallet wasn't with me. And then after the wallet was missing, uh, that when my ticket was gone too, you know. so. I, here I am in the middle of the trail and the things that I'm afraid of losing, you know, both before I got there and then during the hike, I have lost. And now I have to make a decision. Do I go back out and look for the wallet? Because maybe I left it out there in the stash. I had stashed some stuff out there. So I think maybe it's there. Or do I just hike on in and then deal with it when I came out? So I hiked on in and dealt with it when I came out. And fortunately, I found it, you know, I found the wallet in the stash when I, I came out, but all those things were, you know, compounding and I was always worried about money and I'm, and not only have I lost my wallet, but I'm losing money and I'm going to go broke and all that stuff would run through my head the whole time. How long is the so, hike in then? Do you have to stay overnight pretty, pretty much? Or can oh, you <laughs> for me, I did. You know, if you're a, if you're a Kalalo outlaw, I know outlaws that can make the whole trail in a, about five hours, uh, a really a, experienced camper might be able to do it in 10. A lot of campers, what they do is even people with permits, they'll hike to what's called Hanakoa, which is about six miles in, and then they'll finish off the next day with the uh, remaining four or five miles they got to go. So no, it's not an easy hike. Uh, you have to be really in shape and, you know, know your stuff to really do it well. I've never, I've hiked it in a day before, you know, after a few years of doing it. But the first time in, I, you know, I was lucky I made, I think it took me three days the first time I went in. So has the Big Island got a lot of remote spots like that? Yeah. Well, that's, uh, well, that's Kauai. That's Kauai. Oh, that's well, no, Kauai. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 The, the, uh, uh, the Kalalau is on, on Kauai and there are remote spots on Kauai, but, uh, but the Big Island is, uh, you could put all the other Hawaiian islands into the Big Island and still have room left over. So there's a lot of free space uh, on the Big Island. Uh, but uh, Kauai is much smaller and uh, much more densely populated now than when I lived there even. Hmm. So like so, a small island like that, I mean, it would drive me crazy. Do you get to know like the whole island then by the time you leave? You must know that motherfucker inside and out. Uh, yeah, it's a small world when you live on a small island like that. 
It's uh, like, uh, in fact, uh, one of the stories in the book, I, I talk, talk about the night Rick Joe Brenna, and I got a lot of feedback from different outlaws about different things. And one of the feedback was, well, you know, everybody's on the island is going to read this book, and then they're going to know Rick did that. And, you know, <laughs> you're going to, I'm like, Rick doesn't have a good enough reputation to worry about that. But anyway, that kind of, it's, that's how small the island is, that the outlaws are worried that the, that the neighborhood might be disrupted by the story. Did the neighbors sometimes become outlaws? Like, were they, would they, would the locals kind of go do that thing too? Or is it strictly oh, the, the end of tourist thing? Check this out. This is a, a trippy story in here. I, I'm So my first time, my second time in, I meet a guy at the KA beach named Roy. And it turns out Roy and I went to high school together. I didn't know Roy in high school. I had, I went to a huge high school and Roy and I didn't know each other, but we went to high school together. So I'm like, wow, what a trip, man. And you know, that's great. And he's like, Oh, trip, trip on this. There's three others <laughs> besides us from the same high school that, that lived in this valley. I'm like, no way, you know? Yeah. So he tells me the names and I know who they are. And sure enough, there were five of us from this high school that had lived in high school in New Jersey who had lived in Kalalau Valley. And so there isn't three guys from the Waimea High School that have lived in Kalalau Valley. Well, there's three, but they're not five. That's crazy. So, yeah. Well, you see, the local, uh, I don't know how to say this in a kind way, but there's a kind of a plantation mentality among the people who have born and raised there where they think that somehow the outlaws are getting over on, on, the, on the system and they don't want to be part of that sort of thing. They want to do the right thing, you know, play by the rules. And the outlaws are obviously not playing by the rules. However, it brings me to another point in this story, which is there were two local people uh, who were Hawaiians who were called into the valley by the Almakua. The Almakua are the, um, the ancestral powers of that valley, the power that gives the mana to the valley. And so the two Hawaiians were called in by the Almakua. One was called in to be the Kahu, which is kind of like the caretaker of the Heiau, which is the sacred place in Kalalau to be monitored by the, by the Kahu. And the other Hawaiian was a guy named Alikai, who was, uh, he, he fell overboard on, a, on his boat and went unconscious. And the Almakua saved him and told him, we saved your life so that you can go live in Kalalau Valley. Wow, what? Did he have, so did he have like an NDE, a complete NDE or? And he, uh, it was, I don't know what you would call it. I just know he told me the story where he said, you know, I, I, I hit my head, fell off the boat. And the next thing I know, uh, my arm is uh, hanging onto the boat and the Almakur are talking to me and telling me to come live in Kalalau Valley. So, uh, you know, no, so these two guys, <laughs> no. <laughs> But they, so they come in and live there. And then of course they get more, uh, you know, hassled than we do because when the, when the, when the Rangers show up in the helicopters, we're all running and hiding and they're staying in place. They're not moving. This is their home. There's no reason for them to go anywhere. They've been except, called in by the Alma Except they're on the public land or whatever though. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, so Ali Kai, uh, he wasn't political about it. He was just being a very Alikai about it. But uh, Ikaika knew that he had the civil right to be there. It was part of the Hawaiian Constitution. So um, he would just, oh, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So kinda he like, would. Kind of oh, like Darren's, oh, got, Darren's got his rights in Canada, kind of, same thing. Yeah, except that, except that in Hawaii, they do everything they can to make sure you can exercise them. And, and so what happened was uh, they they 
per- persecuted this guy to the point they would fly in just for him what? and arrest just him and then fly him out and put him in jail. And then every time he would go to trial, a special judge would show up. And guess what that judge's name was? Frank Rothschild. Oh, my God. <laughs> Frank Rothschild. And we would, I, would, I was in court with him one time because I got tagged. And uh, my case came up, and then I was done. And, and then all of a sudden, his case comes up. And in walks Frank and sits down, and he's the judge for just this case. And then there's a there's a, a a Japanese guy who's a special prosecutor too, and he starts speaking to a Kaika in Hawaiian, and Hawaiian says, "I don't speak the white man's version of Hawaiian. Speak to me in English." So was that judge well, like a specialist in constitutional, like uh, indigenous constitutional laws and common I, I think laws and stuff was, like that? Or I think he was a specialist in being a Rothschild, <laughs> and you know the the Hawaiians had their land stolen like, from why, them by why, yeah but why did they care so why did the rangers give a shit about you guys i mean you, the campers are there anyways and oh well how many the outlaws rangers, are there like the rangers were the rangers were just doing their job yeah but why yeah right and so it's it's people okay so here's how hawaii got stolen the missionaries and the u.s government and the big agricultural companies all combined to overthrow the hawaiian kingdom and take it over right those three groups still run the state of Hawaii today and the descendants of the missionaries are still in power. And so they're the ones who were coming for Ikaika. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to ask you about that, about it. Like with all this sort of trauma over the hundreds of years in Hawaii, like I, I would, I wouldn't expect them to fold uh, like a cheap tent through COVID like they did. I mean, but I guess you're just, you're kind of, you've answered it already probably that it's under the control of, you know, the hey, same, that, the that same public control sa- the other states, right? Okay. So public safety was one of the tactics they used to overtake the kingdom. Yeah. They, that's what I mean. It was like, it's like right out of 2022, 2020. Right. The whole, everything they did then was just a precursor to what they did recently. And, uh, when they denied, when they, he kind of took this to the Supreme court of Hawaii. And when they ruled against him, they, the reason they agreed that he had the legal right to do it, except that they could decide whether they would let him do it or not. That's how the constitution is written. You have the legal right to do it if we say so. But the reason they told him he couldn't do it was for public safety it was just too unsafe for who i don't know but it was public safety was the issue was the why he couldn't live there as the kahu which which was also wasn't that part of the original takeover too from the missionaries right when the missionaries co-opted the whole culture they destroyed it from the inside out and then they um and then uh, like for example they married into the uh, hawaiian royalty you know, it's to give them access to land easier. They created the written Hawaiian language. They never had a written language. So they created what modern Hawaiian is basically missionary Hawaiian created out of a hodgepodge of dialects. And they created the spelling and it was all for, you know, conforming everybody into a mindset. And then after 40 years of that, they made the language illegal. <laughs> and uh, so they did everything they could to destroy the psyche of the Hawaiian people in order to steal their land. 
And, uh, and the Hawaiians were dying off of natural causes rapidly anyway. And then this leprosy thing came up, and they used that as a great leverage against them. So that then they conducted medical experiments and, uh, and right. in order to protect them? When right. was that? Exactly. What was it like? What year? That happened uh, in the 1860s. It started, but it, it wow, really didn't. That's so interesting. It didn't intensify until the time when they were prepared to take over the kingdom in the 1890s. They really pushed the, the button on the thing and they started really rounding up Hawaiians and sending them off to uh, Molokai to exile. So, and, and there's a famous of matches the Canadian timeline too, eh, Darren, in a way? Yeah, and the American, yeah, in fact, and like all of them. Sure. Kinda. A lot of this was happening during the same time. It was the same game plan everywhere. And uh, it, it was just amazing to look at because I didn't realize this either. I had to look into this and I was like, wow, I, I, this seems like a familiar pattern here. You know, uh, uh, co-opt the language, you know, co-opt the religion, co just take over everything. Culture, and the then culture, the spirituality. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So what, it's, what were you going to say when I interrupted you about there was a... Uh... There was a war, a battle, maybe? A oh, battle? yeah. So the famous, uh, famous battle was, it was called the Leper War of uh, uh, Kauai. And there was a, a guy named Kololau. That uh, sounds a lot like Kalalau, but his name is Kololau. And uh, he decided that he was not going to be rounded up and herded out. And a lot of others thought that same thing. But Kololau, uh, they came for him because the first group of, uh, they've three or four you know, soldiers came in to get him and, uh, he ended up killing one of them. And so, uh, they were like, okay, this is not good. So they bring in 35 more soldiers and a cannon and they chase him around the valley for a month. And, uh, he kills two more. One of them accidentally kills himself and they never catch him ever. He dies in the valley of natural causes later. So, um, and, but they spent a lot of money and time you know, chasing this guy around and they never could catch him. And they tried everything they could to kill him and his family. On a little Island. On a little Island. <laughs> in a little valley. Well, not a little Valley, but in just a, one portion of it. Right. Right. Well, they were chasing him all over the Valley, and, but you know, he knew the Valley a lot better than they did. And uh, so there was no way they could catch him. Every time they thought they got him, the one time they thought they had him in a cave and they shot a cannon at the cave for a couple hours and, he was, you know, he didn't get him. And then, uh, they quarantined the place and then somehow he got out and, uh, they never caught the guy. They hardly ever saw him. Huh. I'm just looking on the map too, like the, the, um, elevation map of Hawaii. And, and it really looks, it would be interesting to know what it was like, uh, before the end of the ice age where the water rose like three or 400 feet. Cause it's quite a large, quite a large. And it goes all the way, the chain seems to go all the way sort of east. Well, you know, the Hawaiian islands were uh, on, sitting on top of a mountain range. And the mountain yeah, range yeah, yeah. and the mountain range moves. You know, it's a, it's a floating. And these islands and the mountain range are all moving uh, at about this, the rate of your hair grows. And, um, and so Kauai is about 6 million years old. And Big Island is only about a million years old. And those, and that's why the Big Island is the Big Island. In six million years, the Big Island will be where Kauai is, and Kauai will be somewhere between Midway and uh, and where the Big Island will be. But I won't be around in six million years, so I won't be able to verify that. Maybe, maybe, 
Maybe you'll be <laughs> like uh, stuck on a hard drive. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so back well, to the question about them sort of folding like a cheap tent. So did they just have no, like, wasn't there any, like, I just, I wish there was sort of more pushback from the indigenous people um, when, when these sort of mandates and shit come around, right? Like Hawaii got pretty well, bad. Yeah. Well, Hawaii is kind of, like I said, the plantation mentality is very strong there. The Hawaiians are, you know, I don't think there are many Hawaiians left, you know, you know, I don't know any Hawaiian who's pure blood Hawaiian, but uh, because it was a concerted effort to destroy their culture. So one of the things they did was they brought in thousands and thousands of foreign laborers. The Chinese were the first, the Japanese were the next, Koreans came. Then a lot of people from the Azores came. And within, you know, by 1860, half of the population was now foreigners and uh, controlled by the white missionaries. And the Hawaiians were dying and they had menial roles in society. They had a, a royalty, but the royalty had no real power. They were just a puppet government for the missionaries. They tried, but, you know, there was nothing they could do. So, you know, the plan worked so well that the Hawaiians were shocked when they finally realized they had had their island stolen from them. But that was already after the fact. It had happened a long time before they officially ended it. Darren, do you got any questions? Well, it seems like the same sort of colonialism that was sort of rippling right. around the globe at that same time and trying to destroy whatever these motherfuckers had going on, whether, you know, for some right. would seem for a reason other than land. Well, it's hard to say, you know, I mean, they, they always are land grabbing and stealing resources and resource extraction. That, that, that's the main thing, you know, uh, in this scene, they're, they're always trying to cop resources as much as they can. And in this case, they decided that they wanted to turn the islands into an agricultural production center for, you know, industrial kind of fruit, like bananas and pineapples and things like that. And, uh, and pineapples aren't even indigenous to Hawaii, and yet people think of Hawaii and pineapples as being synonymous, you know, but they're from Brazil, but they were brought to Hawaii because they would grow well in Hawaii. Anything would grow well in Hawaii. But unfortunately, that process, you know, stripped the land of its nutrients and made it, some of it infertile, and, and it's poor land management all the way around on the island. It's really poorly distributed. A lot of the land is all locked up in these trusts that are owned by the missionary families. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, if I was a missionary family, I wouldn't want to leave <laughs> there they, either. They haven't. I want to leave, <laughs> they my, haven't. leave my blood on the island. So yeah, let's still, get, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Ahead. I was just going to say, they still have a lot of power. Now, so yeah. That, that's their yeah. trip. So let's, let's I, now that we have a whole whack of context, let's talk about <laughs> how the spiritual pizza started. Well, the spiritual pizza story is, is very mundane. I, I use it as a metaphor, really, because um, uh, I did find spiritual pizza there. But the, the, spiritual pizza, the spiritual pizza story goes like this. Um, there was a period of time when uh, they were kind of low on food and things weren't working. And all of a sudden, they had enough ingredients to make a pizza. They hadn't done it before, so they thought, let's try this. And they, they uh, used some casties to create a Dutch oven. And they had the ingredients, so they made a pizza out of it. And then uh, my friend, Allah, who was there, she says that uh, I, I could taste that thing. I knew it was going to be an amazing experience when I had it. I, 
I just couldn't believe that I was going to get it. And when I put it in my mouth, it was the best thing I ever tasted. And then I heard Ronnie say, you know what this is? This is spiritual pizza. And she said, and we all knew he was right. <laughs> and that was how it was born. And then uh, when I moved to Hawaii, uh, I stayed in a guy's house. The first time I stayed in his house, he was in Kalalau Valley uh, with a friend. And then the second time, I, a year later, I came and I stayed in his house again. And once again, he was in Kalalau Valley with his friend. And his friend was there getting married and a spiritual pizza wedding because he had had such a great experience the first time he went in. And with the spiritual pizza thing, he said, I got to get married in here and have a spiritual pizza wedding. And then uh, party. he came in specifically for spiritual pizza on his 50th birthday and had a killer birthday party on Kalalau. Pizza. So how, how did it grow? Like, how did it go viral in a way before uh, virality just, was even a thing? Yeah. Word of mouth. You know, it was uh, it would slowly. Now, Pierce uh, lived at the end of the road, uh, uh, you know, near K Beach. And so a lot of the outlaws started working for Pierce. I don't know. I know a little bit about how that came about, but yeah, some of the outlaws were working for Pierce and, you You're know, they were Pierce, uh, uh Brosnan, Brosnan, 007, 007, so, one of the better right, so ones they, too. Yeah, he was. And a good guy, <laughs> you know? So anyway, they were, the outlaws were always, you know, hyping him about, you got to go in, you got to go in. And then finally it was coming up on his 50th birthday. And so, he went another, in another 50th birthday thing. Wow. Right. Yeah. A lot of 50th birthdays at Kalalau. <laughs> so, so, so then, so the people started bringing ingredients in then too. So yeah, you could kind of, yeah. right. Yeah. I, you, you get that message, you know, when you hear about it, the first, they, like when I was going to go in, everybody was telling me, don't forget to bring the cheese and the, you know, so there's a list that you got to bring the cheese, you got to bring flour, you got to bring the yeast uh, and oh, tomato paste in cans. And uh, any other condiments would be uh, welcomed as well. But those are the primary ingredients for the pineapple pizza. Pineapple would work, although I don't know anybody that did that one. We never had a pineapple pizza that I can recall. There wasn't a controversy about that back then. No, you know, I don't. I don't even know if there's a controversy now. I've never had pineapple on my pizza, but it sounds a little odd. But I guess you could get away with it. I do all the time, but I guess there is a technicality about that where the people don't like it because it's running, it gets juicy and runny on the, uh, on the dough. Oh, I can see. Well, you know, our pizzas were all kind of deep dish, uh, jobs. You could put just about anything in there and it would, yeah. it would hold, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Was there drugs in the pizza? Uh, no, <laughs> but you could find pot in there. Uh, uh no problem. Uh, in fact, there were probably some people growing pot in there. For a time not easy to do by the way I, there are easier places to grow pot than in Colorado valley but the people that lived there did it and uh they 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 worked hard to do it i would have thought it would be easy to grow there uh it, 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 technically yeah i mean it's a great growing area but you got helicopters coming in all the time tourist helicopters dea helicopters state helicopters you know it's a noisy place in the daytime with the helicopter scene so would you so, ever yeah. go back there? Like what, what have you, what have you been doing after lately? Cause this, you know, the book does talk about, a, you know, a past, right. A few years. Right. Back. Well, so, uh, the end of the book, the last section of the book, I talk about my last, I have spent a month in Colorado Valley in 2007, uh, oh. 2007 and, uh, like 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. 15 years yeah. Ago. And, and so that was the last full, 
long stay. But when I left the Valley at that time, I thought I would be back in about a month or two. I was going to Germany on a consulting gig. And then when I left Germany, I thought, well, you know, it's winter in Hawaii. Why don't I go to Thailand and check that out? So I went to Thailand and then one thing led to another. And I was ended up staying there for like a year and a half in Thailand and Laos, Cambodia, traveling around. And then I went back to the U.S. for a few months. And then my attention was, okay, now I'm going to go back to Kalalau. When I got to Kalalau again, it was wintertime. I couldn't get back in. And I thought, well, hell, I'm just going to go back to Southeast Asia for the winter. And then I'll come back in the spring. And then when I got to Southeast Asia, uh, one thing led to another. Met some Chinese girl in Burma. The next thing you know, I'm living in Beijing. And then I spent like another six years in Asia after that. Never got back to Kalalau. My wife and I did uh, come back to the States in 2012, and uh, on our way back, we stopped in Hawaii, and I went to Kalalau Beach, and I spent three days there in 2012 for my 60th birthday, and then that was my last time in Kalalau. So now you're 71? Yeah, 71 uh, coming up in March. March what? Uh, 23rd. Oh, oh, just into the one after Pisces? No, Pisces... I don't know. I don't know um, um, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, right. I'm on the Aries side of that. There are a lot of Pisces people in Kalalau, but uh, I was one of the Aries March people. I'm a Pisces people. Oh yeah. Well, in Vedic astrology, I'm a Pisces, but in uh, Western astrology, I'm a Aries. I think I only know Western. Yeah, the Western thing is the more common one, but the Vedic one, you know, the Western one is based on uh, the sky stays still 2,000 years ago, and the Vedic, uh, you know, the uh, Indian philosophy of astrology is the, the sky keeps moving, and so now, you know, technically, I would be born in Pisces on that calendar and their astrology system. So where are you now? Right now, I'm, uh, my wife and I are living in Georgia. We've been here for the last seven years doing homesteading kind of stuff, but we're wrapping that up now. We've been growing our own food, and I've been raising pigs in a forest. And, uh, but uh, now, I, at 71, that's a little bit much. I think I'm going to back off that and move back to Hawaii and continue to write books instead. Really? You're going to go back to Hawaii? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, our that's plan. Where, where boats are you going to go? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We're, we're planning to land on Kauai. The last time we did this, we went to Kauai and we said, okay, let's make our home Kauai. And then we ended up living on the big island. So you never know how it's going to work out when you get there, but yeah, something yeah. will happen. But uh, right, that's where we're probably going to make our first stop is Kauai. So what was Beijing like then compared to, you know, Western, Western countries, that kind of thing? Did you notice? It tripped me out. Uh, yeah. You know, I had been, I had been, only traveling through Southeast Asia, which is, you know, very third world. So I was expecting China to be somewhat similar. And uh, what I found was an extremely over-the-top modern country. I had I'd never been to any country in Asia that was so modern as, uh, as China. It was just mind-blowing. You know, and I, I, it, I don't even know how to describe it well, but I, I was totally shocked. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, you know, I, this is not Cambodia. This is definitely, you know, New York city or Vegas really <laughs> reminded me of Vegas. downtown. Got a lot of neon lights in, at nighttime. It always reminded me of Vegas. Yeah. It's so, very built up. So were you, did you like, just as far as a freedom 
aspect goes, you were probably there, what, like 10, 10 years ago, something like that? I was there during uh, when Hu Jintao was the uh, leader of the Chinese party, and it, things were pretty mellow, you know. In fact, it, it, honestly, at that, when I was there, it, you, you couldn't distinguish the U.S. and China very much different, yeah, yeah. you know, That's kind of realistically. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what you year know? was that? That was uh, 2009 to 2013. See, I think that's and when, that, like, Brody was there, too, and it was just, like, having a time. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It was it, fantastic, you know. Like, compared to what it is today, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to go back to that China. I would re readily go back to the China that I, well, not readily, but I would, I wouldn't be uncomfortable living in the China that I lived in between 2009 and 2013. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I had a lot of freedom. I didn't feel uh, uh, oppressed. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't have any problems there. It was, and the people that I, people, people I knew on. didn't have any problems. So, you know, I knew what a lot you, of Chinese people. What do you feel like in, uh, in Georgia compared to? Oh, all the places I would prefer you're at, Beijing right? is preferable to Georgia, <laughs> but in every way, I mean, really, honestly, it, uh, the, the modern America reminds me of uh, what people think of China as, you know, it's, uh, a lot of oppression, a lot of, uh, you know, civil rights violations for minor things. The, the government's out of control in terms <laughs> really? of the way. Yeah, even in, even in Georgia. Although the COVID thing here was pretty mellow, you know what I mean? Compared to everywhere else, there, you know, it was like the masks were optional, except for the big box stores who mandated it. But the government of, of Georgia, you know, didn't have any mask rule or anything like that. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty mellow scene during that. But on the whole, you know, I had problems with them uh, in ways that I don't want to describe right now. But it reminded me of uh, China uh, in a lot of ways. So I'm not, uh, I'm not thrilled with the government here. What about Southeast Asia? Southeast Asia, you know, when I, I don't know how to explain this, but I think if you're an American, uh, you get away with a lot more stuff or even a foreigner. You, you can you have a lot more freedom in their country than the people living there do. If you know how to play the game right, you know, from the like state in, or uh, just socially. Uh, both, you know, like if you get you, you find yourself in some trouble with the cops in one of these countries, usually when I was there, I don't know what the price is now, but a hundred bucks would probably get you out of the deal. No problem. Like, uh, I have a friend living in Bangkok, and he, he was driving a scooter one day, and he got pulled over, right? So the guy says, you have a license? No, he doesn't have a license. The guy says, well, you know, I, I need uh, a 1,000 baht. I need 500 baht. That's your fine. Because they charge you, right? You know, you're guilty. Here's pay the fine, right? So he gives him a 1,000 baht, and, the, and he said, the guy, the cop says, I don't have change. He whips the 1,000 out of the cop's hand and says, get it changed, and then call and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's a, you know, you can buy your way out of stuff and, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a much more, uh, I don't know. It's an easier system to deal with in here where it's all, yeah. you know, a, a big game that you got to play with yeah. lawyers and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, I paid a hundred has... bucks in, in Mexico. I paid a hundred bucks in 1988. Yeah. To, there you to go. Get, to get That's away it. from the cops. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Everyone has access to the corruption. Yeah. It's not, right, exactly. it's not a limited hangout corruption. Everyone, you know, mm -hmm. you just, you, how much you got in your pocket? Maybe you don't need a ticket today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's all, it's well known that you can buy your way out of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I like that system, I, but it's wild. You know, you, I like, you know, I lived in uh, Phnom Penh for a month once and that, that was a trip. <laughs> 
Like it's really, uh, it was a scene, you know. But you Where, could walk that? down the street. Where's that? And, oh, that's in, uh, in the Thailand? capital of Cambodia. Oh, that's Cambodia, the capital yeah, of yeah, Cambodia. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a wild city. It's an old French colonial town, and it's uh, you know, it's wild. <laughs> it's I'm sure it's tamed since I've been there. You know, everything changes over time. Yeah. So before I don't want to forget to ask you, but um, and and Darren, if you have any questions, you can jump in too. But I want to talk about the style of your audiobook before we before we leave you too. Yeah, sure. Darren, do you wanna... do you have any comments or? Uh... Well, I'm just curious, you know, because you're 71, you lived all over the world. What do you, what's your, what's your thought on the general trend, I guess, for, um, civilization in, well, the, in the West specifically? Yeah. You know, it. my philosophy, I have, I've had gone through a lot of back and forth on this. So I'll tell you what I think. I think that the biggest thing I focus on now is not state of civilization but the state of myself and how i deal with it and how i live my way through it i don't think that i can help civilization i don't think civilization can be helped but i do think that each individual if they focus on what's important to them they will be able to find a way to uh, you know change their civilization that's interesting i'm kind of i'm kind of sort of coming to that too after reading some books from the 1940s and stuff and thinking like this has been just a struggle like for so long right and we're and it's just like nothing has changed in in another 100 years you know it's like it's just yeah it feels yeah like, well it feels it feels like a uh at this point i'd be happy if nothing changed in the next 100 years <laughs> Well, there's always change. I mean, that's the thing you have to deal with is there's always going to be change. You know, that's the Buddhist thing, you know, Nietzsche, it's all changing. So, yeah, yeah, I kind of mean the internal struggle between these elites who think they know what's better for everybody than we do. Then that's basically the struggle that's always been around, I feel like. Right. But see, we as individuals have the option of standing up against that. And that's what most people don't do. You know, I got drafted during the Vietnam War. So I didn't go to Canada or Sweden. I just exercised my right. I filed this petition for being a conscientious objector. I was expecting to be hassled and bought. But you know what happened? They sent me a CO card in the mail. (laughs) You're a conscientious objector. And that's all I had to do to get it and nothing more. And uh, and then, uh, you know, so every time I find myself in one of these, okay, so I'm going to, blab the story i didn't want to tell you i was growing some uh special herbs in my garden here in georgia when one day a helicopter with gunmen in it shows up on my what? property and they they then the ne- about a half an hour later a cop with a gun shows up and they're uh, they're telling me that this is illegal they don't have a warrant they have no right to be on my property the Supreme Court has already ruled that you can't use helicopter surveillance. And it's a federal crime to violate somebody's civil rights and expose them uh, in their private property. And yet, they, uh, they came into my property and stole my property. Then they put me in jail for a night. <laughs> then, a year later, they arraigned me and charged me. And then, nothing. Now, I don't know why nothing. Nobody can tell me anything. And so 
maybe they're trying to torture me. I don't know. But for me, it doesn't matter because I'm right and they're not. Interesting. So, yeah. So, oh, and by the way, I grew pot in my front yard in China. <laughs> Two years in a row. And so, am I more free in the United States of America? Uh, no. Yeah, that's fascinating. It really is. It just shows you what a waste of resources, too. Yeah. I, who knows how much money they spent to do that and how much money they would have to spend if they actually tried to bring this to trial, because this is obviously a Supreme Court case. And, you know, and I'm sure that I could find a few supporters out there who might agree with me. So I don't think that I but I but the fact that they did it is what's really upsetting. And you know what? One of the cops told me, uh, he said, you know, we got another guy your age. Well, last year, who did this? And when I killed his plants, he cried. And I said, well, you know what I did? I cut my plants down and fed them to my pigs. Not your pigs. And your next piggy. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they arrested me one night, my, one of my pigs, my boar ran out to see what was going on. And one of the cops said, hey, when did you get pigs? And I said, which time? That's right. So do you see, do you see Western Civ? I think what, what Darren was thinking might be an answer. Do you see Western Civ decli declining then like expertise, uh, manpower, um, uh, you know, well, it, it, I mean the economy, every, everything, or, or does it just, are we just, just shambling along here? Like we have been, I see them making a power grab and, uh, and it's up to us to resist it. Uh, but not on a collective scale, but on an individual scale. You know, I don't think we can join together and beat them because, you know, they're only going to infiltrate your group anyway. But you can beat them on an individual basis if you know what your rights are and you're willing to fight for them. And even if it's not a legal right that you supposedly have, if it's a human right that you should have, then you should stand up for it. Because you have to, you have to fight for your right to party. Yeah. <laughs> Resist be much. So, right. So, it, you, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even the resistance part isn't really it because I didn't resist anything. I was just minding my own business, growing my tomatoes and other herbs in my garden, and all of a sudden, a helicopter shows up and decides that I'm doing something that the state says I shouldn't do. They have no right to do that. They have no right to tell me that. They have no right to be on my property. You know, they needed special documents to do that that they didn't have. I mean, I guess so, that could be looked at as a form of resistance. I mean, you're resisting the system, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I, I'm certainly not, I'm not cooperating, that's for sure. You know, I, I'm yeah. definitely not compliant. And I've never been, so that's part of my problem. <laughs> or, my, <laughs> or my saving grace, I'm not sure which. I'll go with the latter. <laughs> so, yeah, you put some uh, interesting, your audiobook was interesting. You put different music in there and some, uh, some different recordings you had from the... Uh, from the the valley, right? So maybe you can just before we let you go, you can mention mention how you put that together, and and that, and is it going to go on Audible at all? Like, are you gonna? I noticed you did it on your own website, your own. Uh, you know, I I thought about that, but uh, you know, I haven't really done that, and uh, but I might, you know, at this point, I've just tried to sell it on my own. So yeah, 
Well, it hasn't got enough legs yet to make it even worth putting it on Audible, I don't think. But I, I tried to make it unique. And, and how it happened uh, was that um, there was, there's a guy named Larry. He appears in several stories in the book. And uh, Larry, in 2009, started bringing in uh, cameras. Uh, Go, he, one of the Outlaws brothers was the guy who founded GoPro. And so he was getting a bunch of GoPro stuff, and he was coming and and filming stuff and you know of course we get audio and then as he had upgraded his equipment over time so i have a couple of years worth of his archive and uh are you still there because you disappeared i'm still here yeah, there I'm still he is. Here, yeah. uh, there you go <laughs> so anyway larry had an archive of uh, video and audio and so i was able to utilize a lot of that uh in the audio book and then uh, Larry and a few of the other outlaws, I recorded them talking about their stories. And so occasionally I'd be able to put them into the audio book, uh, telling their parts of the stories. And uh, so I and I felt uh, and one of the outlaws told me that uh, for her, it she felt like she was right back in the valley. You know, she felt like I was right there. I, I knew everybody's voice. I I could hear what was going on. I'd been part of that scene. It was really great. And so. You know, not everybody can say that, but I think uh, that people ha experiencing that audiobook can uh, have something of the Kalalau experience. They can hear the sounds, they can hear people talking, that sort of thing can be going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really well done. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Very, very creative. It must have taken a long time to to uh, put that together. Uh, you know, I, I've been doing this sort of thing for a long time, so the hardest part was just uh, convincing myself that I had a decent recording. You know, like I re-recorded everything a couple of times. Uh, I, I won't do that for the next time, but this time was my first real audiobook thing, so I put more time into it than I thought. But the, adding the extra music and all that, that was pretty easy. But getting the, my own recordings right was the, what I was troubled with. You know? Right, right. Yeah. No, that was well done. Thanks. Thanks. I, I tried to make that at opening as killer as possible you know like yeah. it was i i've tried to make it a really whiz bang <laughs> where can our listeners get the book uh if you go to if you go to buzzcoasting.com the links to everything there uh there, there's the audiobook is for sale at that site the print book link to amazon is there and there's a bunch of free stuff free samples and stuff like that and you got another one coming out at some point yeah i'm writing the next book right now i've I'm going through my second rough draft and it's about, it's more details about the vision quest and what happened to me during the vision quest. Uh, you know, so I've got now like maybe 20, 30,000 words about that. And then, uh, and then I've got another section that leads up to that, all that stuff. So, and that's the next book. And then maybe the third book will be the story of my Asian travel. Cause I, I got a lot of good stories from that too. Right on. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, really, I'm, I'm uh, honored to be here, and, uh, you know, I'm sorry I didn't do the video thing. You could uh, see me in my ratty t-shirt talking. No, to no, you. no, no, it's all good. All right. It's all good. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, good luck in your uh, move to Hawaii. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate it. I'm Let us know when you get there, because we might do a, an event out there at some point, and we can meet up or something. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, I'll let you know once I get settled in, and then you all are welcome to come on over and check it out. Right on. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Thanks a lot. Aloha. Hui ho. See you later. Thanks. Hui ho. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. That was a chat with Buzz Coaston. What'd you think? Yeah, that was fun. Is yeah, it Buzz Coaston? Yeah, Buzz Coaston. Yep. Yeah. What a great radio name. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, was your fake just, podcast name going to be Possibilionist? Buzz Coast is way better. As as Possibilionist Genome. That's terrible. In retrospect, it's not terrible. It's, it's pretty terrible. I wonder what mine would be. Uh, hmm. Uh, Luke. Powers, Luke Power, Max Power. <laughs> I like the Max Power, but it needs more of an indigenous twang to it. That's right, like uh, like two like two trees kind of thing, or like um, chief, chief, two chiefs power or something like that, or two power chiefs. Wow, it's pretty racist. Big thanks to Buzz for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger, th- bigger thanks if you're one of the few who choose to support our work over here. If you are getting some value from our little show, that little possibilitous genome works so hard on and me, and we get it out to you every week for 500 and some weeks in a row. Head to grandamerica.ca slash support and sign up for a monthly today. Make a one-time donation. You know, whether it's a buck a month or 50 bucks a month or anything in between, it helps, and we really can't do it without you. Won't do it without you. So if you are loving the show, it's never been more important. Head over to America.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly today. Head over to America.ca. Check out our other podcasts and uh, check out our audiobooks at oldbrain.ca. Our tours are contact at thecabin.com. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I sat on the wall. I could see at its root the people were scatter plots not many could connect the dots some people stood tall in spite of their righteous voices made small put down your phone your soul's turn the rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. I'm shocked in a at the technocracy's gone. Pulling strings of marionettes, setting traps in cybernets. Infinite scroll as addictive as cigarettes. Cat videos for freedom of the press. People that stand tall. In spite of our righteous voices made small. Put down your phone. Your souls turn to stone. The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison. Double click on install. Rome's about to fall. This hard drive is corrupted, and our minds have been abducted by a silicon dream so seductive. 
When yelling at bots becomes unproductive People, we need to stand tall In spite of our righteous voices made small Put down your phone Your souls turn to stone The rhythm of the algorithm has driven a schism, created this prison.